Good morning, everyone. My name's Len. I'm one of the elders here. And I've got the distinct privilege to share something from the Word of God with you all. Um, it's been really great and a lot of fun to see how Doug has grown in, in, his, in his giftedness of, of giving sermons and preaching. He really has a gift for that. But it's great that he gets a break. He needs a break now and then. And it's great to hear from other people in the body of Christ to get different perspectives on things. And uh, two weeks ago, um, Jeremy spoke. And uh, he's a hard act to follow. He's got a joke about every minute, seems like. But uh, uh, he called his sermon a freebie. You know, he, and, but maybe mine's going to be a blue light special this morning. And uh, let me get my notes out here. Okay, let's start by reading the passage. So if you've got a Bible, meet me at Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Mark chapter 2, verse 18, and we'll be, we'll be reading down through chapter 3, verse 6. These are three episodes out of the, out of the life of our Lord in collision with the traditions of the, of the Pharisees. And, and as we read these, we're going to see, learn some great things about our Lord. Uh, so let's take a look at the passage. So Mark writes this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? For your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Well, by the way, does anyone need a Bible? Craig's in the back there. Raise your hand if you need a Bible, okay? I'd like to follow along. So Jesus is saying, As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a, a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine... It's for new wineskins. Now the next episode. So one Sabbath, he was going through, that's Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they, the disciples, made their way, well, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are, you, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
So, the Son of, of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now the climax of these three episodes. In chapter 3, verse 1, And again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can spend time in your word. What an amazing gift you've given us. But Father, I'm weak. I'm a sinner. Nothing of spiritual value is going to happen unless you work this morning. So I pray that you will take your word, take my words, and that your spirit would transform us. That we see more deeply the glory and beauty of your son and be drawn to follow him more fully as more committed disciples. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So I'd like to talk about, or at least introduce the sermon by, by giving two illustrations, one having to do with martyrs and the other having to do with mannequins. You may be wondering what martyrs and mannequins have to do with each other, but maybe you'll see the connection here. So a couple of years ago, there were 21 men lined up on a beach on the shore of Libya. They'd been captured by Islamic fundamentalists. And each man was challenged. Reject by the way, um, 20 of the 21 men were Egyptian Coptic Christians. The 21st man was not Egyptian, and he wasn't a, a Christian either. But as he went down the line, uh, the, the, the terrorists challenged each man to, to deny Christ and accept Allah, or else they'd be killed. And as they went down the, li down the line of, of believers, each one refused to deny Christ. Each one of them was killed. And then they got to this last man, not a follower of Christ, not an Egyptian. What's he going to do? And so they challenged him, you, you, we, we command you to accept Allah or you will be killed also. And what he did, at least from the report I read, is it's just such an amazing thing. It's a challenge for us as believers. As they made this challenge, he knew that his decision was going to be uh, either end his life or save his life. But as he looked down the row and saw all of those other men who refused to deny Christ, he said, their God is my God. And he was killed also. What an advertisement for Christ those 20 believers were 
in that 21st man's life. And that's what God wants us to be, which brings us to the issue of mannequins. Now, as you walk through the mall, if you go to the clothing store, uh, past the clothing store, you'll see these mannequins in the window. These dummies are attired with, with the, uh, the, the clothing based upon the season and what the clothing store is offering, and you can see what they have to offer. The mannequins are there for a bigger purpose than themselves. Their purpose is to advertise what's in the store. And that's exactly what God wants us to be, like those 20 believers who died in their witness converted another man. God wants us to be like those mannequins who have a bigger purpose. Our purpose is to be God's advertising agency. To live in such a way that other people will see him in us and that they will be attracted to him because of our life. Now, the problem is, I don't know about you, but for me the problem is that there's lots of times when I don't think I'm a very good advertisement for Jesus. There are times when I, when I hope that, that people did not see what I did or did not know what I was thinking or did not hear what I said. And you're probably the same way. We struggle with being what God wants us to be as his witnesses. But I think this passage, these, these three episodes are going to teach us some things and give us hope concerning what Jesus can provide for us, a transformation that can make us greater and greater advertisements for our king and his kingdom. So let's take a look at the passage. Now let me set the context again. So remember how Mark begins the gospel? He says it's almost like a title, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that word, word beginning there not only has the idea of sequence, but also foundation. So what Mark is saying, I am writing to you the foundation of your faith, the foundation for your belief in the gospel. He's writing to believers. They've heard the gospel. They know the gospel. They've heard the stories of Jesus, but they're under heavy pressure. Persecution is going on. And among the Jewish believers, they might be asking, boy, this, this hasn't turned out the way I thought it was going to turn out. This isn't the Jewish kingdom that I thought he was going to set up. What am I doing with all these Gentiles? Yeah. Did Jesus really have the authority to make that kind of a change? And the other believers could be thinking in the, in the, in, in, in the facing persecution, is this really true? Can I stabilize my faith in Jesus? Now that's kind of what Paul's writing to her. He's writing... To uh, not Paul. Did I say Paul? Oh, yeah, this is Mark here, isn't that right? Mark wrote this gospel? Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. So anyway, he's writing to stabilize the churches who are pressured, who may be questioning their faith. And he does it by presenting these beautiful pictures of Jesus. What we know so far from what Mark has said about Jesus, that first of all, he is the, the approved and beloved son of the father. Did I say Mark again there? 
Okay. Whenever I say Mark, think I mean Peter, not Peter. Think I mean Paul. Think I mean Mark. Okay, you got it? So Mark's the guy. All right. So I didn't plan that either. <laughs> so he's writing, and, and he's showing that Jesus, first of all, is, is the beloved son of, of, of God. But then he goes on to show how his authority, he has, he has authority over his disciples. He called them when they come. He has authority over demons. He casts them out. He has authority over disease. He heals disease. He has authority over redemption. He's come to rescue people. And what we're seeing, what we'll see today, he has authority over both the new, and by new, the new covenant. He's going to be introducing the new covenant. But he also has, an, has the authority over the old. He's going to bring in the new to replace, in one sense, the old. And even the Sabbath is going to go away for the church. So, so if you've got your Bibles again, look at chapter, at chapter 2. So, uh, the theme is going to be basically this. Jesus is the Lord of the new covenant, bringing new life to cracked pots. So Jesus is the Lord of the new covenant, bringing new life to cracked pots. And we are those pots. Okay. So, we start off in, in, in the, the first episode. Now, okay, we need to set a little drama here, okay? This is, this, this is, these episodes are full of drama, so I need a little background music. So, I didn't want us to get involved in thinking, singing a song as background, but here's a simple... Simple, some simple background music. Okay, think of the movie Jaws. Okay. What was the background music or the background sound in the movie Jaws? Okay, okay. So this is early on, so the shark's a long way, way yet. So it, it's kind of quiet and kind of slow. So it's da 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 da. Okay, come on. Okay, da 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 da. Okay, long way away yet. Okay, so the story story unfolds. So. What we're going to see in this first episode again is who Jesus is, namely that he's the Lord over the old. Actually, no, he's Lord of the, but he's Lord of the old and Lord of the new. And in this episode, it's going to be he's Lord uh, over the new. So we got the background music, so let's ask a question. And basically, Mark is asking this question. Who in the world is Jesus? So that's, that's the question, who is Jesus? And so in this first one, we're going to see again that he is, he is the Lord over the new. So, so what's going on in this first episode? So Mark begins, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? Now Mark doesn't explain to us why John's disciples were fasting, so it must not be important to the story. So anyway, John's disciples and, 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 and uh, the Pharisees are fasting. But what's Jesus been doing? What's Jesus and the disciples been doing? What's the episode just before this? They're partying with the outcasts. Okay? And so people are looking and saying, now, these, these religious 
leaders over here, they're fasting. Now, now you got to remember that for the, the original, in, in, in the Old Covenant, in, in the the Law, there was one fast a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, after, after the exile, they added a couple more, but still just a few times a year. But the Pharisees decided, man, if once or twice a year is great, two times a week is better. Okay. So they were fasting twice a week, Monday and Thursday. So and, and their problem was that they made it into a show. Remember when Jesus told the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector and how Jesus says, it's praying the guys, well, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week trying to impress God and impress people. So they're having a hard time with Jesus when he's not fasting this way. So that's kind of the, the, the scenes. And the question is this. Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples? This is verse 18. Okay. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? That's the question they ask him. And he comes up with a couple of answers. First of all, his first answer is that, uh, let's see here. Yeah, he makes an illustration from a wedding. He says this, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The day is coming, they will, they will fast. Now, he uses illustration of a wedding. Now, in a Jewish wedding, uh, there wasn't a honeymoon, but there was a party for a week, basically, after the wedding. And for many, for many newlywed couples, this was the highlight of their life. This was the happiest time in their life. And for someone to come, it was, it was basically not allowed for someone to come who was fasting. Or it was, it, it was, it, they, were, it, they didn't have to continue a fast if they were going to a wedding. So, so, they, so they come. So just think about that. Um, if I, if I came to my, my marriage, my wedding, in mourning clothes, what do you think my wife would think of that, or my wife-to-be? She wouldn't be too impressed, would she? Or if I came to my wife's birthday in sackcloth and ashes, she wouldn't be too impressed with that either. And that's kind of Jesus' point here is that this isn't a time for fasting. This isn't a time for sadness. This is a time for feasting and a time of joy. Why? Because the Messiah is here, and he's going to do something new. Now he goes on to describe what the new thing is. He goes on and with another illustration, using the, the illustration from a tailor and from a winemaker. He says, if you're a tailor, you know, you don't put a new patch on a little piece of clothes. Why? Because when you wash it, it's going to come apart. And then again, the same thing, talking about the winemaker, you don't put new wine in an old wineskin. Why? Because the old wineskin has been stretched already by new wine previously. It's all stretched out. It can become brittle. It can become hard. You put new wine in there and the CO2 builds up during the fermentation. What's going to happen? Boom! Okay? It's going to blow up and you lose the skin and the wine. So his point in all this is this. The wedding, the garments, and the new wine are all symbolic of the newness Jesus brings. 
And that newness is going to be the new covenant, the gospel, the new community that he's going to bring in. Jesus is going to establish the age of grace in, a, in, in place of the age of the law, replacing the old covenant with the new. So that's the first, okay? Now we go to the second scenario. Now we need a little background music. Okay, the shark's getting a little closer now. So the drama's increasing here, so we're going to do a little faster this time. Da -da 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 okay, so drama's increasing already. So, and we go on. This is uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 23 through 28. So again, the situation is this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as, as, they were made, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So Sunday morning, beautiful morning, they're walking through a grain field. And that, that doesn't compute to us today so much. We're not naturally in our walks. We don't naturally go through a grain field. But back in those days, there were paths going to different villages and things that went right through the grain fields. And according to the law, it was legal to grab a few grains now and then. But the Pharisees, again, had added things to the law. Now, you've got to know something about this. I've got to look at my watch. I can't sell. Okay. Now, what they, des they desired to keep people away from breaking the law. So, so they added, added rules to it. Now, here's the picture. Suppose Jen and Ben Fish back there are getting ready to get their son, Garrick, ready to drive. And, and actually, he needs to drive the car to school because he's in sports and things. And, and Jen knows that the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. But being a, a good mother who's worried about her son and knowing that he has a little bit of a lead foot, she comes and puts an added law to it. The new law is this, while the speed limit is 55, my limit to you is 45. And to, to make sure he knows, she writes a big sign right next to the speedometer. If, if I hear of you going more than 45, you'll be grounded forever. Okay. Now, Ben, being an engineer, the engineering type, you know, he, he, he wants to add more to it. He could be more technical. So he decides to add an alarm to the speedometer. And this alarm is a near-splitting alarm that goes off at not at 55, not at 45, but at 40, just to get him, let him recognize that he's getting close to the limit. But he's not done yet. In his desire, again, to keep him away from the, from the speed limit, he puts a governor on the engine so that now the top speed of the car is just 35 miles an hour. <laughs> so think about poor old Garrick. He envisioned this as, man, this is a, I mean, a great time where I can zip to school and maybe impress the girls on the way, you know. It'd be a 10-minute great ride. Now, it's a 30-minute torture. And that's what, the, that's what the Pharisees and the rabbis did to God's law. God's law was meant to be grace, but they made it into something much worse, full of a heavy burden. I gotta check a note. Oh, so going back to this text, so again, 
So they asked him the question. It was perfectly lawful again to, 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 to grab the grain. So why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Basically, they weren't doing anything that was not lawful. They, they were just breaking the rabbi's tradition, that's all. So, so Jesus says to them, have you never heard what David did? And basically what he's saying here is that if David could break the ceremonial law, surely I can break the, the, the tradition of the rabbis. That's what's kind of going on here. So he goes on, he says, have you never heard what David did when he was, was in need and was hungry and those, who were, and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We'll get the rest later. So he's basically saying that, look, David did that in the Old Testament, King David, and he was not supposed to eat the bread uh, of the presence, the bread that was put on the altar and, and that was replaced once a week. When he went to the tabernacle, they asked the priest for some food. The priest said, the only, only bread I have is, is, is that we just taken off from the, from, the, from the altar there. And basically the priests are the only ones who are allowed to eat it, but the priest made the exception because of the need. And, and so he gave the bread to David, again, and they technically broke the law, the ceremonial law. But Jesus did not judge either the priest or David for doing that. And there's, a, there's a picture there that, that doing good, being compassionate, being merciful, has priority over ceremony, over ritual all the time. Okay. So, so basically saying, if David did it, I can do it. Why? Well, one thing, I, I'm, I'm greater than David. He goes on, and we'll see that in just a moment, and he says, he teaches them again that the, the, the purpose of the Sabbath was to do good, not to be a burdensome set of rules. Then he gets to this critical statement where he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, who created the Sabbath? God did, okay. Who has authority over the Sabbath? God does. Jesus says, I've got authority over the Sabbath. So in essence, what he is ultimately saying is that I'm God. He is Lord over the Sabbath. So now we need some more mood music again. So now we're at the, at the high. Oh, okay. One, one thing I wanted to add. Now, think about what the, what the apostles were thinking here. They're thinking, well, no, wait a minute. Did I just hear him say that? Didn't he just say that, that the God who, who created the universe and rested on the seventh day, that the God who, who uh, made that day holy, that the God who, who made the fourth commandment to keep it holy, Jesus just said that's who he is. And you can probably hear the murmuring and the buzzing in their beards as the, the, the shock was going through. That the, did, did I hear him right? Did he really say that? That's what he said. Now we come to the climax. Okay, so the shark is getting close. Okay, heavy on the, on, on the music. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, we got there. All right, enough of that. 
So, so what happens in the, in the third story? Again, what we're going to see here is, again, that he is Lord of the old. He's Lord over the old covenant. And here he's going to prove it. So this is kind of like put up or shut up time. He just claimed he was Lord of the Sabbath. So why well, believe that? So what he does is he goes purposely, he goes to the synagogue, and there's a man there with a withered hand. Now think about that man. He probably wanted to stay in the back. He didn't want to be center of attention. But Jesus calls him up. And he asks the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. What a mix there. Anger, but he still had compassion. He grieved for them, for their hardness of heart. So what does he do? He heals the man and demonstrates that really he really is what he claimed to be, the Lord of the Sabbath. So what Mark is basically saying here, Jesus is Lord over the new. He's bringing in the new covenant, but he's also Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the old covenant also. Well, let's make a couple of applications here very quickly. So Jesus, basically what Mark is saying is Jesus is the man, the Lord, the authority, the big cheese, the jefe. Now think about what this might have meant to those readers that Mark was writing to. And they're struggling and they're in a pressure. And they, yeah, I see it again. He really is the one with authority. He really is the one who should be the center of my life, even if it means giving up my life. So a question I want to ask is, as an application is, do you really believe that Jesus is the Lord? Do you really believe that it's worth giving up your life for him? And based on what, what Mark has written so far, it definitely is. But one question is, do you really believe that what Mark wrote is true? You know, if, if, we, look at our, if we listen to our culture today, it's denied all over place, all, all over that, that the Bible is true. It's basically taught everywhere, in many places that you can't rely on the Bible. But as, as believers, we need to know why we should believe the Bible. Give you an answer for that. If someone came up to you, you know, why do you believe the Bible? What would you answer? Your parents, what will you answer when your children say, I've heard this at school, why should I believe the Bible? We all need to come up with answers to that. And I've, if you go to the next slide, uh, here's some great resources. These guys have written a lot and spoken a lot about the issue of the historicity of the Bible. Um, so I recommend them highly. You can go to YouTube and you can get lots of, uh, of, of their, um, their lectures on YouTube and they have lots of books too. But huge resource for us to answer that question, why believe the Bible? The next application is this. Does the beauty and authority and attractiveness of Jesus bolster your desire to follow him? Does the beauty and the attractiveness of Jesus that you see in these texts bolster your desire 
to be committed to him. Just think about what, what Mark has, has showed us so far. That because people are sinful and slayed to sin, he forgives and sets free. Because people are sick, he heals. He brings gladness instead of sadness, a feast instead of a funeral. He's compassionate even in the midst of anger and rejection. He does good in spite of the traditions and opinions of those in power, even at the risk of his life. He provides the rest that we need that only he could provide on the cross, namely a rest from striving to find acceptance with God. We don't have to work for that. It's given to us as a grace gift. Do you see Jesus that way? Now one final uh, couple, uh, application is, have you entered into the new covenant that, that Jesus talked about here? He's the one who brought in the new covenant. The new covenant talks about, both in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and in the New Testament, forgiveness of sins, a new life through the Holy Spirit, a new heart, joy, things like that. That's part of the new covenant. Have you entered the new covenant by believing in Jesus as your Savior, the one who died for your sins? And for us as believers, are we experiencing the new covenant life? I've run out of time, but I challenge and encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the end of that chapter through chapter 4, where Paul talks about how he did his ministry through the new covenant. It's an amazing passage that uh, shows what we can expect God to do with us as we follow him. And, and a key to that new covenant is understanding who we are. In chapter 4, Paul writes this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in clay pots. Treasure, namely knowing and understanding who Christ is and Christ himself in earthen pots. Now, this, I, I, back in the 70s, there was a, a Christian musical called The New Covenant, written by John Fisher. Anybody heard of that? Okay. Sorry. Uh, but go to the next slide. One of the courses in this, in this New Covenant musical was this. Trying to drive home the idea of who we are, that we have a treasure, namely Christ, in clay pots so that he can transform us and so that the life of Christ can be, can be made evident in us. So I'm just going to close. We're, uh, we're just going to, I don't want to lead a song here. So. so the first line is, I'm a pot, I'm a vessel. Second line is, made to hold something special. That's who you are. That's who I am. So it's, it's, let's just chant that a couple of times together. Okay. So here we go. I'm a pot, I'm a vessel made to hold something special. Let's stop there. Let's do it again. I'm a pot, I'm a vessel made to hold something special. And what's that something special? We've got the living, loving life of Christ in us. Again, the first two lines. I'm a pot, I'm a vessel made to hold something special. And that's Jesus. And he wants to transform our lives so that through our clay pots, the world sees 
Jesus in an amazing way in that we become a good advertisement for our king and for his kingdom. We can't do that. Only being a pot and letting Jesus work his life out through us is that going to happen. Let's pray. Father, Again, Father, we realize that we have no hope outside of you. What an amazing God you are that you have provided uh, your son, the life of him, through the power of your spirit to live in us. Well, that's a mystery. We don't understand how that works. And we're still going through the struggle. Sometimes he's more visible, sometimes less visible. But Father, thank you for the hope that we have that through the new covenant, through your promises, through the gospel, that this can happen to us, that the living, loving life of your son can be made evident through us for the world to see. We pray that you do that for your glory. Amen.